Open your Bibles today. We're going to use them. Thank God. <laughs> Open them to the book of Ephesians. Thank God for the word of God on this day. Amen. Praise God. I'm not going to take a long time this morning, but we're going to see what God does. In the book of Ephesians, we last week talked about Ephesians 4. And today I want to read out of Ephesians 5. Because I want you to see what the Lord sees. I want you to see what he says about his spirit and his life. We are celebrating Pentecost today. And just like the early church, we need the Holy Spirit just as much as we've ever needed him. The Holy Spirit is not some weird spooky ghost. I know the old English says Holy Ghost, and there's nothing wrong with that. But let me tell you, ghost was their word for spirit. Back then, they didn't say ghost and think, ooh. So that's why I don't, I don't use the word Holy Ghost as much now because it conjures up an image in people's minds. Holy Spirit's not a, a dust, it's not a, not a wind, although sometimes it may move like the wind. The Holy Spirit's not a dove. Scripture says the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. It's not a dove. There's nothing wrong with having a dove represent the Holy Spirit on a picture or something, but I'll tell you, the Holy Spirit is a, is a person. When I say person, I don't mean human, but it's a person, it's part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit's just as real, just as real as Jesus, just as real as the Father. More real than the stuff you see right here. Thank God the Spirit of Jesus Christ, the ministry of Jesus Christ, was made possible by the Holy Spirit. How many miracles, can somebody tell me, how many miracles did Jesus do before he received the Holy Spirit? Zero. Unless you believe some funky, weird, apocryphal tale about Jesus as a kid, which didn't come from the Bible, was created hundreds of years later, like him making a little bird with clay, and ooh, it flew off. Didn't happen. You know how I know it didn't happen? Number one, once again, it was created many years later. Number two, when Jesus did his miracle at the wedding feast in Cana, it says this was the first miracle. So I believe the word of God, right? This is the first miracle, which is a funny miracle. I don't know. I don't want to get off topic, but if you ever... It's the weirdest miracle. It's almost like he didn't plan to do it. But God knew the whole time that he would do it. And there was significance to a miracle being done at a wedding. But his mom came up with the idea, which I don't think was the way, the way most of us would expect it to happen. But as, this, as Jesus went throughout his ministry, it was all empowered, enabled, and, and, and commanded by the Holy Spirit. As he went out, and we, we often overlook this, we think of the Holy Spirit simply as the one that does the miracles, the one that, that, that gives you the wisdom and the knowledge. But don't forget, it was through the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus resisted the devil in the desert. That the power of the Holy Spirit is available for you today, not only to do miracles, not only to see your prayers uh, prayed through the will of God, but also the Holy Spirit is here so that you can effectively resist the, the, the devil, that you can effectively stand up and be who God created you to be. In Ephesians chapter 5, it says, therefore... Be imitators of God. Now, the therefore, if you remember what we talked about last week, therefore makes sense. 
He talked about who you are. You're the body of Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. Now listen to that. Be imitators, not as strangers, not as some hack doing his best impression, but as children. I don't know if you've, if you've taken a look at my little boy, but everywhere I go, and somebody new meets Moses and they meet me, at some point they comment, boy, you can tell you're the father. Yeah, well, I'm glad to hear that because they look at Moses and they see me. But even Moses, even my son Moses, is not as perfect of a representation of me as we should be to Jesus. Because here's the deal. Moses is part me and part his mother, but you are fully created in the likeness of God. You've been recreated with his DNA. You've been recreated with his nature. You've been adopted into his family. And the Bible says that your spirit was recreated in holiness and likeness of the truth. Now it says this. It says, Walk in love as Christ loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you, as is proper among saints. And there must be no filthiness and silly talk or coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. Now listen, he's saying it doesn't fit you anymore because you're not a sinner anymore. You are a saint. You might say, I don't feel like a saint. I feel like a sinner. Well, forget what you feel like and walk by faith. You are who he says you are. Your spirit was recreated in him. And though you still sin, though you still fall, though you still stumble, that's not who you are. You're defined by him. And he says this, for this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not be partakers with them, for you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. He doesn't just say you have light. He says you are light. He says, for the fruit of light consists in all goodness and righteousness and truth, trying to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. Do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. For it is disgraceful even to speak of these things which are done by them in secret. But all things, listen to this, become visible when they are exposed by the light. For everything that becomes visible is light. Now here's where we're getting at today. For this reason, it says, awake sleeper and arise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Do you just, can you just picture God standing over your bed, God standing over you in the ditch and saying, wake up, sleeper, get up from the dead, and I'll shine on you. You see, the thing is, we get discouraged. We get discouraged because we think, you know, I've been struggling, I've been fighting, and it doesn't seem to do any good, and I, I feel like I'm just not enough. I don't feel like I'm qualified. But here he says, if you'll just wake up, if you'll just get up from the dead, I'll shine on you. I will shine my light on you and through you. And in verse 15, it gets better. He says, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And don't get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. 
speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Let's go back for a minute. It says, don't get drunk with wine. Don't get drunk with wine, for this is dissipation. Dissipation means it's wasting, it's, it's leaking, you're, you're, you're you're diluting what God has given you. Dissipation is removing the power. It's, 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 it's wasting what God has given you. But it's so interesting to me. What a great day to think about this, the day of Pentecost. So interesting to me, he, he contrasts. He says, don't get drunk with alcohol, but be filled with the Spirit. Now, in most places, you'd say, what in the world do they have to do with each other? It just seems off the wall, doesn't it? Don't get drunk with wine. Be filled with the Spirit. Until you begin to understand what the Holy Spirit is like. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit makes you stupid. I'm not saying the Holy Spirit kills brain cells. The Holy Spirit doesn't make you dumb. But the Holy Spirit, whereas when you're drunk with wine, you are dissipating, you are, you are leaking, you are wasting the, the power of God within you, and you're giving it away, and you're out of control with the Holy Spirit, you're, you're out of control, but you are in his control. Yeah, that's right, that's right. To be filled with the Spirit, you are giving up control. See, when I'm filled with wine, when I'm filled with alcohol, I would be giving up my control to that alcohol. When you're, when you're high on drugs, you're giving up control to those drugs. And those drugs can't, those drugs have, have no uh, good, have no interest in keeping you well. It's just a drug. So what it's going to do is it's going to alter your brain chemistry. It's going to change you so you do things that you normally wouldn't do. And how many of you can testify? You don't have to raise your hand. But most of the time, those aren't good things. But I've never heard somebody say, I became president because I got drunk. I mean, I was just not able to attain to that highest height. I was too much of an idiot. I was too uptight. But I, got, I just kept getting drunk, and I just kept going higher and higher. I, I mean, I finally, until I got to the top office in the land. I know the current president of the United States has admitted to getting high on marijuana. But that's not why he got to the presidency. Let's not get political today. There's no CEO of the land that says, you know how I got so powerful? Just toasting my brain. Best decisions, has, have you ever heard somebody say, best decisions I've ever made in my life are just when I was totally wasted? <laughs> you ever been in a restaurant, or let's not say restaurant, let's ever been in a gas station, ever been in a 7-Eleven after midnight? That is a treat. <laughs> sometimes we come home, I come home from Loon Lake. My wife is pregnant now, so sometimes I have to make emergency weird food item stops. Rarely, right? Like once so far. But we don't have chocolate cookie dough ice cream on tap. I got to go get that. If you've ever been to late night 7-Eleven, you, you see all sorts of people you never thought lived in Lloydminster. Civilization changes. Have you ever had one of these loud, either, either they're drunk or they're high and they come in? Have you, ever, have you ever looked at them and said, what an astute person. What, what a wise man. I'm blessed by your company. You've never thought that. 
But under the power of the Holy Spirit, those hicks, those hillbillies that Jesus called disciples preached. And the Bible says people recognized that they were uneducated men, but marveled at their speech, marveled at the wisdom that they had. Isn't that interesting? Alcohol makes you an idiot, makes a smart person dumb. But the Holy Spirit gave them words and wisdom that they didn't have on their own. Those drugs and alcohol might, might make you lose control, but the Holy Spirit, when you, when you release control to him, when you are full of the Holy Spirit, you are out of control, but you are in his control. And so nobody, nobody will ever do something that will damage themselves or hurt other people when under the power of the Holy Spirit. Anything that does that is an imitating spirit. It's not the real deal. And you need to be aware of that because there are fakes. There are counterfeits. But our Holy Spirit does not damage people, does not harm. Our Holy Spirit builds up. Now, there may be a time where he does destroy things that shouldn't be there. There are times where their damage will be done, but it's not to your harm. It's to your good. And here's what the Holy Spirit does. He says, when when we are filled with the Spirit, what does he tell you to do? Be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. Now, we got to get this, North Americans. We got to get this in our heads. Never, ever say again, I don't sing. There's some parts of the world you go and you say you don't sing, and it's almost like saying you don't walk or you don't breathe. Of course you sing. You may not sing well. You may not be able to hold a tune in a bucket, but you can sing. Isn't it interesting that he says, that he says, be filled with the Spirit, and then he talks about singing. Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks to God. It's no coincidence that in 1 Corinthians 14, when he talks about the speaking in other tongues and praying in other tongues, he says that you are giving thanks to God. A spiritual life is a joyful life. A spirit-filled life is a life that can't stop from singing, even if you sound terrible that can't stop from rejoicing even in the midst of great persecution. You remember in Acts when it says the church was being persecuted, but they were continually filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. They were continually filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. Now, I've I've seen people, guys, that have been under the influence of substances that you hit them in the head and they don't know they got hit in the head. You smack their fingers with a crowbar. Not saying I've done this. But you could smack their fingers with a crowbar and they wouldn't know it. Next day they'll tell you about it. That's how out of it they are. It's not like that with the Holy Spirit, but he has the ability to fill you with himself and and his joy to such a degree that it doesn't matter what people can do to you, you still have joy. I want to remind you what the Bible says. In fact, let's read it. Can we turn in our Bibles to 2 Corinthians real quick? And I just want to show you something. See, if you didn't wake up in the morning in the past month with the urge to sing something to God, you didn't wake up. 
God's got something for you. I mean, there's more. You might say, well, I sing terribly. I don't care. What about shouting? Can you shout? Can you? I mean, if, if you have not been so filled up that you couldn't keep it in, you're not full enough. But I'm not telling you that to condemn you. I'm telling you that to encourage you that there is more to go. My little, our little son walks around going, we are your church. We are your church. And that's the only part of the song you know. So he goes, we are your church. We are your church. And it's good to be reminded, we are your church. Yeah, we are. So I'll finish the song for him. Then he moves on. Happy day, happy day, happy day. I think of that kid. He's just got a song in him. He doesn't know the words, but he wants to sing. He's full of something. We're full of something. We get filled with the Holy Spirit. When did we get so stodgy? When did we get so boring? When did we get so dull? When did we get so so organized? The, the, the early church was so, it was not chaotic. It was not out of order. Because the Holy Spirit is never out of order. And God is not a God of confusion. But let me ask you a question. How many of you like football? I was expecting more hands. Okay. <laughs> How many of you understand it to some degree? Okay. All right, all right. Well, you know. Jared loves it enough for all of us, right? You ever seen a coach at halftime as he draws out the game plan? He's got the circles and the X's, and you move here. And a football play is a beautiful thing because, you know, when we were in elementary school, it was like, okay, I'm going to throw the ball and you catch it. That was the extent of our plan. But you look at these pro football players and and this guy has to run here and do a hook, and this guy's got to go over here, and these guys got to block, and these guys got to do a fake run here, and this guy's going to do a handoff here, and everybody's got a part. Now, if you knew nothing about football, and they stuck you on that field in the middle of that play, you would think it was chaos. You would think there was no order. What in the world? Everybody's running in a different direction. There's stuff going on. People are hitting each other. But to that coach, there was perfect order. He knew the plan. And those players, they knew the play as well. It's not chaos to them. And there are times when we are put in the middle of what the Holy Spirit is doing, and we look around and go, this is chaos. But to him, there's perfect order. Everything's got a purpose. Everything's got a reason. God is not a God of confusion, but he is also not a God that we can institutionalize. He's not a God that we can tame. He's not a God that we can completely figure out. And Jesus says, here's how you know he says, those that are born of the Spirit are like the wind. You don't know where they're coming from, and you don't know where they're going. Anybody ever felt that way about Christians before you got saved? What about you were a Christian, but you didn't know about these, these weirdos that are a little bit more, you know, out there? Maybe you went to a, a church where you knew that everybody will stay in their spot. God bless you. You love the Lord. You love Jesus. Thank God for that. But you never would take this hand and smack it together with this hand. That didn't happen. <laughs> and you certainly wouldn't raise this hand above this shoulder. And if that person's a little bit louder than, uh, you know, your average cough, something's wrong. So you looked at some weirdos like us and you thought, oh, 
Well, you know, spirit people, and I believe every believer has the Holy Spirit. Whether you're filled or not is up to you. But spirit-led people are like the wind. You don't know where they're going. You don't know where they came from. The Lord knows all of those things. And you know what? When you are spiritual, the Bible says, when you're spiritual, you can discern that. It says, it says a spiritual man is able to appraise and, and judge all things, but he himself is appraised by none. It goes on. Okay, let's read 2 Corinthians. This is where we're getting at. 2 Corinthians 3, 4 says, Such confidence we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are adequate in ourselves to consider anything as coming from ourselves, but our adequacy is from God, who made us adequate as servants of a new covenant. Now, thank God. Do you hear what he's saying? We're part of the new covenant ministry. We are those that are called to go and, and preach the gospel. We're called to go pray for the sick. We're called to go bring light into the dark and and none of us are adequate on our own. Nobody's qualified. Nobody brings their own qualifications to the table. But he says our adequacy is from him. We are adequate in Jesus. That's the great leveler. Is that without him, we can all do nothing. But through him, every one of us, all things are possible. So I want to just tell you boldly today, none of you are adequate. And all of you are adequate in Christ Jesus. He says, we are adequate as servants of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. The Scripture talks about the letter, the letter of the law that was against them. In fact, the law was spiritual in itself. There's nothing wrong with the law. The law was holy, the Bible says. Oh, the problem was we could not keep the law. So by the law, we were condemned. By the law, we were judged. You know, when the day of Pentecost came, the reason all of those folks were in Jerusalem on that day was that this was a day that they celebrated every year, the Feast of Pentecost. And one of the things that the Feast of Pentecost represented was it looked back to that day Thousands of years before, when the law was given. The day of Pentecost was the day the law was given to the people of Israel. Moses came off of Mount Sinai. And as he came down, he encountered a group of people who were in pure rebellion. The Bible tells us that when the law was given, 3,000 people were killed for their rebellion. 3,000 people died. Not because there was anything wrong with the law, but because there was something wrong with them, and they rebelled. And even those that were sinful, but weren't in, in the rebellion of these guys, even them, God had mercy and didn't wipe them all out. God had mercy and saved them. Even then we see his hand of mercy. But on that day, 3,000 people dropped dead. But how many years later, when Peter and the disciples stand up and he preaches the gospel on the day that the Spirit is given, 3,000 people are born again. We see, I mean, to the day, 
on the same day where generations before 3,000 died. Now, when the Spirit is given, 3,000 come alive. And many more after that. The Spirit gave life. I want you to hear this verse, and I just want you to be straight right now. Just be honest with yourself, with each other, with God. Are you taking advantage of the life that's available to you? Now, I know that we have eternal life. I know that someday when our bodies lay down, our spirit lives on, and we'll be with Jesus forever. But I want to tell you, and I believe this strongly, eternal life is not a thing of the future. It is a thing of the present as well as the future. Eternal, by definition, starts now, is part of now. Now is part of eternity. And that life that God has filled you with is not for someday in the sweet by and by. There is a day, and that will be wonderful, and that will be the completion of our adoption, and we'll get our new bodies, and it'll be wonderful. But guys, there's a life right now that's available to you. Some of us, some of us are wondering, some of us are wondering how, why is it so difficult for me to get excited about Jesus? Why is it so difficult for me to open my Bible? Why is it so difficult for me to share my faith? Why is it so difficult for me to come to church and look at all these people that are excited and I don't feel that? And I'm not here to diagnose you, but I'm here to tell you that that life is available to you. And there is a spirit that says, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead that Christ would shine on you. And that same spirit that gave life thousands of years ago is able to give life to you today. But the, the, the thing is, you got to be willing to be filled. And guys, what happens? What happens before getting filled? What has to happen before you're filled? You have to be empty. See, that's the problem with most of us. We're so attached to the way our life is. We want the Holy Spirit to be that extra kick of caffeine in our life. But what the Holy Spirit wants to be is not a highlight, not an addendum, not an asterisk to your life, but a replacement for all that stuff that you've been trying to live for and live by. And I want to tell you that Jesus desires to fill you and keep you full of his spirit. But you're going to have to be willing to be emptied so you can be filled. And that's good. That is all good. It's not always easy either. But it yields such great fruit. There's not one person in the room today that is disqualified from receiving the spirit of God. There's not one person here today that is not good enough for the Holy Spirit. There's not one person here today that has blown it one too many times. I don't care how many times you blew it, you managed to get here today. And if you got here today, obviously God's still not done with you. Every one of us needs life. I want to remind you, I've said this several times, and those of you that were with us, You've been with us on Wednesday nights as we've gone through Acts. You know this well. In Acts chapter 2, the church was filled with the Holy Spirit. But in Acts chapter 4, they're threatened. Peter and John are threatened, beat up and threatened never to speak in the name of Jesus again. The implied threat is that you'll die if you do. Their response is to go back to their brothers and sisters and say, let's pray. Your response when you get threatened isn't to run to the authorities. Because maybe it was, in this case, the authorities that were threatening them. The response when they were threatened was not to whine and to cry and to mourn. 
the response when they were threatened was, let's pray. What did they pray for? They didn't pray that those guys would stop threatening us. They didn't pray that God would send bodyguards. They prayed that God would give them boldness and that he would grant signs and wonders and miracles to take place through the name of Jesus. And what was God's response to such an audacious prayer? He filled them with the Holy Spirit. See, if you think you only got to be full once, that story doesn't make sense. If you think one day in 1979 you came to the front, someone laid their hands on you and you were baptized in the Holy Spirit and that did it, then I'm telling you that story is a little weird. Because while God did something on that day, God is not done. And God doesn't just give you a one-time shot of the Holy Spirit. That, that, that verse that we read says, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled. The original Greek is a continuous verb. Keep being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says in Acts, when we talked about the church that was being persecuted, it says they were continually filled with the Spirit and with joy. Continually filled with the Spirit. The Acts 2 church needed Acts 4 filling. And you need it too. And guys, I, I, I love the moments when the, the place shakes. And we all get it, but you don't have to wait for that moment. Don't be satisfied with just doing what you should do because you should do it. I mean, there's honor in that. There's, 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 there's a reward for faithfulness. But you shouldn't be doing it without the power of the Holy Spirit. You shouldn't be driving your car when your oil's done, when your oil's run out. What'll happen if you do? You'll burn your engine out. So many of us are doing that. We're trying to live this life without the very oil of the Holy Spirit, and you're burning out, and you can see it, and your friends can see it. And like I said a few weeks ago, in fact, a couple months ago, I believe it was, one day we were here worshiping and the Holy Spirit said clearly that there were those that couldn't understand why they were so tired. They were physically tired. And it was, we just figured, what's going on? Why am I so physically tired? And while there might be physical symptoms, there was a spiritual issue. You were spiritually tired and it was coming out in your physical body. And you don't have to be that way anymore. When I woke up this morning, for some reason, I didn't get a ton of sleep last night. When I woke up, my alarm, I did not want to wake up. My alarm said, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead. I said, snooze button to you. <laughs> Shut up, O phone, and fall back on the floor. But here's the beauty of the command of God. When God stands over you and says, wake up, O sleeper, all he wants you to do is if you will receive that, he is not just commanding you to do anything. With every command is the grace and the empowerment to do it. It would be like if your alarm clock gave you a, a shot of caffeine right to your bloodstream the moment it woke you up. That is a bad idea. Don't ever try to invent that. Dr. Deploy might have some words about the wisdom of, of injecting yourself straight in the bloodstream with caffeine. I don't even know what that would do. That, but either way, can you imagine if your alarm clock didn't just tell you to wake up, but empowered you to wake up? That's kind of why I, 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 Tia doesn't like it, but I pick alarm sounds that annoy me. 
I want my alarm to make me angry. I want, I want to not like it because that'll get me up. But it can't empower me to wake up. It can only remind me to wake up. But the Holy Spirit, when, when the Lord says, wake up, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, Christ will shine on you. Then what does he go on and he says? He says, don't be drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. Guys, maybe, you've, maybe you're free from substance abuse, but there are other things in our life that are dissipating the anointing in our life. There are other things in our life that are dissipating the power of the Spirit, those distractions, those other things we've fallen in love with that are just wasting your time. But if you'll say, yeah, I want it. I've never seen somebody who said, I want it, and sincerely said, I want it, and was willing to knock until the door was open, was willing to ask until they received, was willing to seek until they found. I've never seen that person be denied. I've learned something. When we pray for somebody to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, when we pray for somebody to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, I found that the kids, that their moms made them go up, it's like praying for a brick. Or that guy who's been sitting in the back and his friend just goes, go up, go up, go up, go on up. It's the hardest thing. We stand there for 15 minutes praying with that person. But when those people who want it and can't wait for you to stop preaching so that you can pray for them, you barely have to do anything. You just walk near them and they burst out and praise to God. They burst out in other tongues. They burst out in the power of God. I pray for this one guy. I was speaking at a youth conference in Washington, and there was a youth leader who was there. He was from a, um, a church that didn't quite believe in, in the gifts of the Spirit today, but he had managed to come. And uh, during praise and worship, one of the ushers came and got me and said, can you come back? This guy wants somebody to pray with him right now. He said, man, I can't go any longer. I need this. So I, I began to pray with him, but I couldn't even finish. It was like Peter when he preached to Cornelius. I couldn't even finish before this guy began to speak in other tongues. It was just filled. But he said this. He said, I feel like laughing and crying at the same time. Is that normal? He said, I feel light and heavy at the same time. Is that normal? I said, man, normal's not going to be part of your vocabulary anymore. <laughs> so quit looking for normal. You have left the world of normal. So Fred Josh used to say, we have now entered the world of weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's not weird to God. You just got, you got placed on the football field without fully understanding the play. But there is a plan at work. There's counterfeit, I know that. There's foolishness, I know that. There's fakes, there's flakes, there's all that. But don't let that throw you off your desire for the real thing. There's an old, there's an old saying that every time, I've, I've seen this, every time our young men and women get full on fire for God and just want to go out and preach to the world, some well-meaning soul comes up to them and says, that's good for you for right now. But don't worry, someday you'll mature and you won't be as excited, but just keep going. 
And they always think they're helping that guy. And you just want to say, please stop talking. Because you know what? I understand that your relationship changes. I understand that sometimes the grace of God for a new believer looks a little different than the grace of God for a mature believer. But I'm telling you, you don't ever have to stop being on fire. And if you ever look at these apostles, you ever look at some of these disciples, some of these men and women of God who as old people were more on fire than they were when they were young, desire that. Sometimes you just don't know you're asleep. Sometimes you don't, just don't know how, how, how uh, drowsy you are until you some, see somebody that's really awake. And I'm telling you, you can have the life that he's talking about. You can wake up in the morning wanting to sing. Hey, how weird would it be if you were at a house with a group of other believers and you just started singing songs? Anybody comfortable with that? Why not? Because apparently in the scripture, that's normal. You say, well, that's what I come to church for. That's what we do here on Sunday and Wednesday. I'm sorry. I missed the part in the verse where it says twice a week with words on the screen. Sing as you are led by the song leader and don't improvise. And those are the songs you have to sing. After that, you don't have to sing anymore. It seems like this is a part of their life. Be filled with the Spirit. Singing, to, to, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. What's a spiritual song? That's a song of the Spirit that you just came up with. That's the song of the Spirit that came out of your spirit. And, and, and you didn't, nobody wrote that for you. You're just singing it. There's psalms and there's hymns that are pre-written. There's psalms and there's hymns that have been written and, and you and have, have good words in them and you learn from them. But there are spiritual songs where you just wake up or you just come into a group of people or you come into a meeting and the song of the Lord rises in you. And who can but sing at that moment? If the Spirit of God, as the Scripture says, has come. Who, when, the, when the lion has roared, who can but prophesy? Making melody with your hearts to the Lord. Now, I've heard somebody teach, see, that means that uh, we're not supposed to be singing out loud. We're making melody with our hearts to the Lord. Okay. Seems weird, though. Seems weird that he might say, speak to one another. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord. Seems weird if that's all going on inside your brain. If you thought a group of people just getting together and singing was weird, try a group of people staring at each other. Can you sense the song I'm singing in my heart? Ooh, I sense it, brother. It's good. Now that's Quackville. That's weird. It says making melody with your heart. Because the songs of the Lord don't rise out of a good tune that needs words that rhyme. The song of the Lord rises out of your spirit because you're full. And when you're full, here's what God does. God never fills somebody to the brim and stops. He fills people to overflowing. Our God is a God that's not afraid of wasting because the spirit is limitless. So he's not going to fill you right to your line. He's going to fill you beyond your line. What does it look like when the Spirit, I'm about done here, so hang with me. What does it look like when the Holy Spirit is overflowing in your life? 
What does it look like when you're overflowing? You can't keep it in anymore. Somebody that's overflowing, their mouth is doing something. Their feet are doing something. They're dancing. They're singing. They're preaching. They're sharing. They're, they're ministering. They're prophesying. They're singing. Somebody that's overflowing cannot have just a personal relationship with Jesus that doesn't go beyond themselves. Somebody that's full of the Spirit leaks on to other people. Somebody that's full of the Spirit explodes with what he's got and you can't keep it in anymore. Somebody that's full of the Spirit's going to have a song they can't keep in even as bad as the song may be. And if you don't have it today, don't be satisfied. And it's not going to look the same in everybody. I want to just tell you that. Because sometimes we look at that person and we go, well, that person is full of the Spirit. Do I have to look like them? No, you don't. Just look like Jesus. Just look like Jesus. We're all going to be different. We're all going to be unique. It's some people, God has created you a certain way, and you can't imagine being like that. Well, that's fine. But just be okay with being changed. Be okay with him doing extraordinary things through you that you didn't expect or you couldn't predict or you couldn't control. And it won't look like that person. It won't look like that person. It won't look like them. But the more and more we allow the Spirit to lead and allow ourselves to be full and allow ourselves to be emptied so that we can be filled, emptied of our own pride, emptied of the stuff we brought to church that we thought made us special, and instead see our uniqueness and our adequacy found in Him, then you'll find that He is more than willing to fill you up to overflowing. As King David said, my cup overflows. A spiritual life is a life that's overflowing. Let's just think about this for a minute. I don't want to freak you out too much. But you ever notice that those, there were 3,000, there were, well, thousands of people there that the Bible said were there because of the feast and they were devout. And the Bible says those devout people heard those other tongues in their own language. But it says there were others. Did you realize not everybody there heard that? Thousands did, but they were the devout ones. They were the ones that were looking for God. But there were others who were mocking. But what did they say? They said they're full of wine. They're drunk. So... There's got to be something about being full of the Spirit that might appear that you're drunk to somebody else at times. Might appear that you're weird. Might appear that you're out of control. Praise the Lord. But do we trust the Holy Spirit? Do we trust the Holy Spirit? I'm not saying be weird for weird's sake. Please don't. But don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what you can't understand. Because if your brain could comprehend God, you would be greater than God. Let's let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit. Amen. Stand with me.